We're talking about telling our story. And each week we've had somebody come up and share a word of testimony. Um, didn't work out this week where I had somebody. So I want to share my testimony with you as briefly as I can. All right. Uh, when I was 15, 16 years old, I had some friends in high school who invited me to go to First Missionary Baptist Church in Barnadon. And these were good friends, and some of them were girls, so I went. Uh, just being honest, all right? And, and I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I, I, hey, I went to church with my friends. We listened to whatever it was that the, the preacher was talking about, and we left. And nobody I was real close to seemed very different from being in church. Nobody that I was real close to seemed to be impacted in a, a great way, but all of them professed to have been saved. So I thought the thing to do was to walk the aisle and be baptized and join the church. And I did. And I walked the aisle and I took the preacher by the hand and he prayed a prayer. And I repeated his prayer. And I got dunked. And I say I got dunked because it wasn't baptism because I wasn't saved. I, I did not genuinely accept Christ as my Savior. I continued to live in the world and like the world and do all the things of the world until ultimately at the age of 20 years old, I found myself in a situation where I had a child on the way and got married in that order. Well, the preacher sat us down and talked to us uh, before the wedding and our premarital counseling and he, are you saved? I, I must be, I got baptized. Are you sure you're saved? I'm, I'm pretty sure. I remember praying a prayer. It was, you know, I checked that off the list. It was done. All right. Well, sometime after I was married, I was invited to uh, a production of Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames at First Baptist Church here in Bogalusa. And if you've ever, have you ever seen that? And have you ever been to that production? Okay, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it's simply a, a play that is put on and presented with different life situations and the eternal consequence of those life situations. Well, by this point, I had gotten married and I'd settled down and I was trying to be a good kid, you know, and, and my wife and I were coming to church right here at Monroe Street and we were helping in Sunday school and we were involved and trying to do things. And boy, I was trying to check off that list as much as I could. You know, I was trying to read the Bible. I was trying to be faithful. I was trying to treat people kindly and so on and so forth. And that night I sat there in that production and there was a guy on stage and I don't know what his name, remember what the character's name was, but it should have been Chad Jenkins because he was in church and he was trying to do good and he was trying to atone for things that he had done bad in the past. And in the production he died. And Jesus looked at him and said, depart from me for I've never known you. And that night I realized that I was just as lost that night as a kid that was in church involved as I was before I ever walked in the door of a church. And I prayed and asked Christ to save me. June 8th, 1996. Prayed and asked Christ to save me and forgive me of my sins. And he did. And he changed my life. And I'd love to say that, that things have been hunky-dory and perfect since then, but they are not. 
but I know who is in control, and I trust Him. If you don't know Him today, you can know Him. It's as simple as saying, Lord, come into my heart and save me. Forgive me. Help me to know you. That's my story of salvation. I also have a story of growth that I want to share real quick before I get into the message. After I got saved, I still wanted to do all the things that I'd done before. I still wanted to have a drink now and then. I still wanted to listen to the same stuff I was listening to and do the same stuff I'd been doing. But something happens when you get saved. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your heart and you develop something called conviction. And when you do something wrong, you realize, I'm doing something wrong. Well, I was real into a, a certain type of music and in that music there was a lot of references to bad stuff. Anyway, I won't get into the details of it. Well, one night, just a couple of months after I got saved, I had this dream. And in that dream, one of the songs that I listened to a lot was playing over and over again. And I heard the message in that song for the first time. And it was about getting rid of the light and walking into darkness is really what the message was. And in my dream, I stopped. I was in my car and I stopped. I remember just as vividly as if I had it last night. I stopped the car because the music was playing. I don't know why I didn't turn the radio off, but I just stopped the car and got out. And I started walking and I saw this kid. And I know now, I believe that that kid was representative of, of the old me. And, and I look at this kid and I want to tell you, he was doing all these wrong things. And I said, you need to know Jesus. First time I ever witnessed to somebody was in a dream. Right? You need to know Jesus. And he looked at me and it was the most evil thing I'd ever seen in my life. I get chills every time I talk about it. And I'd never been part of anything like what I'm about to say, so it really blew my mind. But I reached out in this dream and I touched this kid and it was the most evil sensation I'd ever felt. And I woke up yelling in the name of Jesus, be gone. And I fell down on the side of my bed and I wept and I cried and I said, Lord, get this out of me. Get this darkness out of me. I believe I was saved, but God was still redeeming. So I got up the next day and my wife at this point thought I've lost my mind, all right? But I got up and I told her what had happened and I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through all my music. Any references to darkness or hell or drinking or drugs, any reference to anything that shouldn't be, I'm going to get rid of it. I had about 200 and something CDs, all right? And I went through them one by one. Guess how many of them survived? Not a one. So I don't recommend this for everybody, but this is what God led me to do. I went in my backyard and I had me a good old bonfire. And one by one, I tossed some suckers in the fire. I had a good friend who's like, what? You could have given them to me. And I said, if I don't think I need to have it, why would I give it to you? You know? And, and from that point, I, it was a sacrifice. And real quick, just to put a bow on this and let you know where it went. Uh, I shared that testimony with a friend of mine named Eric Williams. Eric was a youth minister Hillcrest at that time, and he wanted me to come and share 
my, uh, your preacher, yep. Uh, he, he wanted me to come and share that, that uh, testimony at a lock-in. So I got off work at Pizza Hut at like one o'clock in the morning. I went out to Franklinton at like two o'clock in the morning. I'm standing in this gym full of kids telling the story that I just told you. Of course, I was crying, I was emotional, and I'm like, you know, I got rid of my music. I don't have any music. And this kid come up to me. I, to this day, I don't know who he was. He was about 16 years old. And he said, have you ever listened to this group or that group or this group? And these were all Christian bands. And I said, no. And I checked them out. And guess what? The Lord speaks through music. Amen? Amen. And, and in that, God restored to me something that I had let go of and sacrificed. And he restored something to me that was better than what I'd let go of. All right, so I share that with you to say this, that not only does God save, but he redeems. He redeems, and maybe today there's something you need to let go of and let God have his way. We're gonna read down through verse seven. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning your, our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for the condemnation, for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Father, we pray that we might see your name exalted in your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Jude's story is a little different. Jude's story is one of exalting Jesus, of taking what Christ has said and, and applying it in such a way that he is magnified above everything else. Jude is writing to the, to the church, wanting to share his personal account, wanting to share his testimony, wanting to write about their common salvation, but the Holy Spirit has led him in a different direction to give them this word of warning that they might see what is taking place and combat what is taking place. And, and, and when I say it as a story of exalting Jesus, exalting Jesus is doing the will of God. If you do the will of God, you are exalting Christ in your life. Uh, the willingness to follow the Lord's word, the willingness to follow uh, his statutes and the word that he gives us is the greatest exaltation that we can have uh, in our lives of Christ. Now, it's one thing to, to talk about Christ, which we should, but it's another thing to live it out. Amen. Amen? 
It's important that the world sees our faith. Well, Jude is exemplifying that by saying, I wanted to do this, but here's what the Lord led me to do anyway. Now, now number one in Jude's story, is we have to make some implications here. We have to understand from the rest of Scripture. Jude's background is implied in this story. When he writes Jude, a servant, bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, that's a mouthful. It may not look like much on a piece of paper, but it is indeed very informative. Because Jude, as I said, also in, in, in Scripture is known as Judas, the brother of Jesus. Now some things are known, and you don't have to go into detail. Uh, Jude was, was able to, to write Jude, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, and the people that he was writing to knew what that meant. He didn't have to explain that he grew up under the shadow of Jesus as his older brother. Any of you got older siblings? Any of you ever been told you should be more like your older siblings? Imagine growing up under Jesus, all right? Judas, Jude was the brother of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' half-brothers. If you look in the New Testament, you look in the Gospels, it lists a handful of brothers by name of Jesus. One of them being James, who wrote the book of James, who was over the church in Jerusalem after the death of Christ. Uh, the, the other one that we see in Scripture prominently is Jude. And Jude writes this as the brother of Jesus. Now that says a lot because when you read in the Gospels, you understand what that means because starting out, the first time you see Jesus' brothers, they're mocking him. They're saying, you know, they're, they're kind of making fun of him. You need to go to Jerusalem. That's where all the prophets go. Get on over there. You got something to say. Go over there and do what they're doing. That they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. Now, I don't know what kind of stories they grew up hearing. I, I have trouble believing that Mary didn't tell them day in and day out about the birth of their older brother, Jesus. I'm pretty sure she probably shared that story with them a time or 12. All right? And, and, and so they took this opportunity, the brothers of Jesus, to mock him, to ridicule him. Later on, they came after him. You know the story where Jesus' mother and his brothers come and beg him to come out to, to stop doing what he's doing. They think he's lost his mind at this point and they're trying to get him to come back home. And he says, these are my brothers and my mother who do the will of God. You know that passage, you know what I'm talking about. Well, Jude, this is who he was. And as he grew, uh, he is now the bondservant. He refers to himself as the bondservant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't even refer to himself as the brother of Jesus Christ. He says bondservant. What does that word mean? It means a slave. See, Jude had made the progression from not knowing who Jesus really was to not understanding who Jesus really was to fully accepting who Jesus really was. This is the implication of the story. All of us at some point in our life had heard the name of Jesus but were unresponsive to that name. All of us at some point in our life began to understand who Jesus was and what he had done without fully accepting the gift of salvation. And I shared my testimony a moment ago. That's what I was saying, that I had heard Jesus. I went to church. I thought that was the thing to do. But I did not accept Jesus Christ. Until you come to the point where you surrender your life into the hands of Jesus and say, I'm going to be the person that Christ wants me to be, then you're just playing games. 
Jude had played that game. Jude had been down that road. He had mocked and ridiculed. He had tried to, to draw Jesus away from his calling. And now he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And this bondservant of Jesus Christ had desired to share his story. Look again at verse 3. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you about this. And we'll talk about what this is in just a minute. I want you to look at the beginning there. I wanted to write to you about salvation. I wanted to tell you my story. I wanted to let you know how I became a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I wanted to share my account of believing in Jesus for salvation. I wanted to get to the point where I could explain to you how I fully accepted the truth of the gospel. But God didn't want me to tell that story today. Why is that important? Because we should always be ready to tell our story. We should always be eager to tell our story of salvation. But sometimes it's not the story of salvation that's the story that needs to be heard. Sometimes it's the story of redemption. Sometimes it's the story of calling. Sometimes it is the story of devotion and dedication. Sometimes it's the story of healing. We all have stories of how Christ has worked in our lives and we should be ready to tell the story that applies. The church, in a lot of ways today though, uh, and I've said this before, we see salvation as the finish line. And no matter what anybody's going through, our answer is, well, I accepted Jesus. That's a great answer. It's a great answer. Unless it's not the right answer. If somebody is going through the loss of a loved one, that may not be the time when they need to hear about your story of salvation. They may need to hear about your story of triumph. They may need to hear about your story of peace. They may need to hear where you, God has comforted you in a time of trial and tribulation that you didn't think you could go through. You need to be ready. Why am I saying this? Because Jude wanted to tell one story, but God had imposed upon him another story. It was his desire, it was in his heart and his mind. He had a need to tell the story of salvation, but it was God's desire that he go in a different direction. And I want to tell you, God's always right. And if you will listen to what God's telling you, you'll always be right. That wasn't quite as strong. That was... Wait a minute, you mean I got to listen? I don't want to... Caleb told me a joke the other day, all right? And this is how... Uh, this is how how messages happen a lot of times and you just kind of illustrated that all right said a preacher and a, a doctor and a lawyer all went hunting together all right any y'all hunt deer hunters all right all went hunting together and they're all in their stands around this field and a deer come out and all three of them drew up on that deer and all three of them shot and the deer drops and they all run down there to see who shot the deer well there's one shot that hit the deer the other two missed and they're sitting there arguing over whose deer it is. Oh, my deer, it's my deer. I shot it, I shot it. Now you, and anyway, so the game warden comes up to see what all the ruckus is about, and they, they tell him what had happened. The game warden walks over, he looks at the deer, he said, that's a preacher's deer. And they said, how in the world do you know that's a preacher's deer? He said, bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> all right. All right, can you relate? Amen, all right. That, that, that's what I mean. If we listen to the Lord, we'll always be right. Amen. 
Amen? All right. All right. So, so we see this in this passage of Scripture that Jude was imposed upon by God to tell this particular message. It was God's desire that he take a different route. It was God's desire that, that, that he tell them something different because the church was dealing with something different at that time. Now, it was important for him to tell his message of salvation, and I'm sure somewhere along the line, the Lord allowed him to tell that, but at this time, it was important that he was attentive to what the Lord was saying. Three things real quick about God's desire of listening to that. Number one, we need to be attentive to what the Lord is saying. Some of us, the way we listen, whether it's to people or to the Lord, is like this. We talk, and while somebody else is talking, we're formulating what we're going to say next. We're not really listening. Any of you been guilty of being on the phone with somebody? Uh-huh, 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 yeah, uh-huh. Any of you been guilty of sitting in church going, uh-huh, uh-huh, all right. Well, that, that's, that's what we're looking at right here is that, that we need to be attentive to what the Lord is saying. The Lord was telling Jude, this is what you need to talk about. Secondly, we need to be attentive to the needs of those around us. It was important because of what was going on in the church. The evidence shows that this message needed to be shared. This was the message that the church needed to hear. And as Jude was attentive to the Lord and he was attentive to what was going on in the church, he could understand what the net message needed to be, which brings us to the last thing in these three things here, is that he had to be obedient to answer. Now, it's one thing to pay attention to what the Lord's saying. It's one thing to look around and see what needs to be said and what needs to be done. But then that last step is ultimately important. We've got to be obedient. If you have a story to tell and that story can save someone's soul, should you not tell the story? Amen? Shouldn't you tell the story as, as the Lord gives it to you? And it was imposed upon Jude to tell this message. Now, here's the thing. This was an important warning. This was not a happy message. This was not, hey, I got saved and I'm, I'm redeemed and I'm going to heaven and hallelujah and everything's great. It's not one of those kind of messages. Jude's message was, I wanted to tell you how I got saved. Instead, I got to tell you there's some, some, some people in the church that have come up and, and caused trouble and we've got to figure out how to deal with it. I'll tell you as a preacher, that ain't no fun. I'd love to stand up here and tell you all day long about accepting Christ. I'd love for everything to center on being saved and, and, and being redeemed and accepting those gifts and benefits of salvation. But sometimes you have these messages that are like, you know, there's bad stuff going on and we need to pay attention to the bad stuff so we can do something about it. And it was important. Let me break down real quick what Jude was saying to the people here. It was an important warning. Number one, it was the infiltration of ungodliness. He said, after he said he wanted to write to him about, about this and about salvation, he said, I have to tell you, I, I find it necessary, again, verse 3, to write exhorting uh, you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all, uh, all delivered to, to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying there? He's telling them about the infiltration of ungodliness. The doors of the church being thrown open 
to ungodliness. We see that in the church as Jude was writing to it. But we would have blinders on not to see it today. The church is being hijacked in many areas, especially in our culture. We talked about that a little in Sunday school this morning, about how uh, the access to church and the freedom that we have sometimes turns into uh, such abuse of our faith. That there are people all over the world that are dying for what they believe in, and they really believe in it. While we're here unpersecuted, untouched, unscathed by any, any kind of scandal or anything like that, and it's just simply up to us to show up. And what was going on is it was this infiltration of ungodliness. And we see that in the church today. You turn on your TV and you see what's going on, what passes for church today. I, I laughed the other day. I, I love being around other pastors because they're all just as whack as I am. But, um, but, and we all suffer from the same mental illnesses and all that. But, uh, but, but I was around a bunch of guys the other day and, and one of our older pastors, um, he, he's actually retired, come out of retirement and pastoring again. And for some reason, he just went off about Baptists. He's, he's like, these churches today don't want to be called Baptists. No one wants to be called Baptists. You ashamed to be Baptists? You ought not be a Baptist. Rah, 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 rah. All right? And I laughed at him. It was, it was kind of enjoyable to, anyway, you just got to understand, I guess. But afterwards, I really got to thinking about what he was saying. And I said, that's true. But I'm not a denominationalist. I'm not real, real big on all that. But how many churches today don't even want to be called a church how many churches today don't want to be called church they want to be called a fellowship or a house of praise or a, a community chest or something i don't know and, and and they're not interested in being called the church our lesson in sunday school this morning was about the benefit of being a part of the church yeah i was thinking monopoly i don't know all right being a part of the church, I'm a part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. And Jude was writing to warn about what was going on in the church. He said that ungodliness is creeping into the church. You know the great thing about the honesty and the truth of Scripture? And, and I'm not pointing anybody out. I just want you to understand this. There, there's, there are people here that, that I know and I love that I can be very honest about their life situation. And I don't have to beat around the bush and pacify them and pretend like everything's okay. And some of you know what I'm talking about. If there's a situation, I, I, I try not to sugarcoat it because the scripture is the scripture. I'm not going to apologize for preaching the truth, but I'm going to love you whatever your situation is. Because if we allow ungodliness, then it's like a cancer. It's like an infection and it affects the church more and more and more. And Jude was warning against that. If we simply turn a blind eye to what's going on, we lose sight of what's important. And that was the emphasis here on faithfulness. He uses the example of the, Egypt, of the Israelites being led out of Egypt. And he says later on, verse 5 says, Afterward, God destroyed those who did not believe. What, what was he saying? He was telling them that if you don't stay on the right track and if the church gets hijacked by ungodliness, God is going to destroy the church. But if you will remain faithful, if you will stand strong in the faith, then as Gamaliel said in the book of Acts, if it is of God, you can't stop it. 
And 2,000 years later, we stand in this facility as part of the body of Christ and can say that if it is of God, you can't stop it. It's important that we are faithful in what God has given us. And also it's important that we examine ourselves in judgment. He uses some harsh examples here. He talks about the Israelites being destroyed. He talked about the angels who did not keep their proper domain and reserved for everlasting chains and darkness and judgment of that great day. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set as an example of suffering and vengeance of eternal fire. That's where the church can go if we're not careful. Amen? And I believe today it is being hijacked, particularly in the the area of sexual immorality, but I won't dwell there just to say this, that, that there are things being allowed and condoned and even honored in the church today that should not be honored. But Jude's story, back to Jude's story, Jude's story was one of exalting Jesus. He exalted Jesus by first of all being obedient to what God was telling him to do. Secondly, preaching, teaching, writing the hard message that God had told him to write. I want to tell you today, if we would simply be obedient and honor God in his word, he'll do the rest. He will do the rest. Back to my personal account again, I'll wrap it up with this. that I can say that because I had a lot of plans for my life, a lot of things that I wanted to do. I'll go ahead and share this part of it. I had to stop and see if it was all right. Okay. I left Bogalusa in 2000, July of two, no, October of 2000 to go pastor in Folsom. I pastored in Folsom for about four years and I went to Virginia. Well, one of the things I said when I left Bogalusa, and you'll laugh when I say this probably because you might have said it too, never coming back to Bogalusa. All right. Any of you are late? All right. All right. Now, we're on the same page, all right? You want to make God laugh, tell him what you're not going to do, all right? In fact, January of 2005, Brother Ken Collins called me up. I was in Virginia, just happy as a lark. Everything was going great. He said, hey, we lost our pastor. Would you be interested in coming back? I said, nope. (laughs) But I'll pray for y'all. Is that what I said? I'll pray for y'all. You pray about something, God will give you direction. Long story short, end of October, make nine years we've been back here. And I say that not as a boast, but as God's faithfulness. It's in that time I've seen people that I know and love come to know Jesus. I've seen my dad, who used to wouldn't talk to me about things of the Lord, be in church every Sunday he could. I've seen young men and young women surrender their hearts and lives to Jesus that I never would have seen had I not been obedient. So the call this morning, the story that you can tell is that if you are obedient, God will be faithful.